Turn with me now to Psalm 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Eternal Father, whose dwelling place is the source of heavenly light, we ask that you would send forth your light and truth so that every secret fear of our hearts might be consoled by your presence and goodness. Grant to us now your Holy Spirit that we might know the joy of you abiding with us. Grant to us the spirit of truth that we may dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. You know, over the years I've lived in a number of different states here in our country. Um, I have gone to school, worked, lived in states such as Alabama, Wyoming, California, Minnesota, North Dakota, those are cold places, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Iowa, now Tennessee. And of all of them, the most dynamic place that I have ever lived was Southern California. Annually, Southern Californians endure wildfires after the vegetation has been parched by the harsh sun there. And then after the vegetation has been stripped from the landscape by fires, the rainy seasons come, creating mudslides, Strong Santa Ana winds also punctuate life with excitement out there, taking shingles off of rooftops, sometimes broadsiding semi-trailer trucks and turning them over on the already congested freeways. But most unsettling of all the things out there were the periodic earthquakes. And if you have endured an earthquake, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can run from a fire, you can hide from the wind, but you cannot run or hide from an earthquake. Uh, 
We think of earth as an anchor. We call it terra firma. But, but when terra firma starts shaking and rattling and rolling, it shakes you to your core. Uh, nothing I've ex- ever experienced can compare to an earthquake. And when we think about that, we have to admit that life can be like that as well. Uh, the setbacks, the surprises... The disappointments can be deeply unsettling. Life as we know it in this world provides us with no solid ground to stand on. And David knew that as well. He reflects that in this psalm. I mean, the tumult, the trouble, the intrigues this man endured as the king of Israel would have crushed most men. And yet he displays such single-minded resolve and confidence in this psalm. He says, I shall not be shaken. Now, taken all by itself, that's an audacious claim to make. Not just because of the difficulties that David faced, but also because of the difficulties this man could bring on himself because of his sins and his weaknesses and his failures. But but David can make that claim because his faith is not in himself. It's not in his circumstances. It is in the one he calls God in verse 1 and the Lord in verse 2. The Hebrew word for God in verse 1 is El, the mighty God. David's preserver and protector is the mighty God, the sovereign God. And the reason for this, as verse 2 says, is this mighty God is also the Lord in capital letters or in Hebrew, Yahweh. In the Old Testament, Yahweh is the covenant God who gathers those who receive him into an everlasting covenant of grace with himself. And and then, just briefly after David affirms who God is, he lists in the verses that follow the benefits of knowing this mighty covenant God. He says he's the supreme good of those who know him. He says he providentially arranges the lives of those who know him, working all together for their good. He says the Lord gives needed counsel. He is the best friend we could ever desire. So Taken all together, no wonder, David says, I will not be shaken. This is not naive, positive thinking. This is the resolve of faith. David's resolve is the fruit of his faith in this one he knows as his mighty covenant Lord. And very importantly for us, David's confidence is ours. If we have this God, my faith in Jesus Christ is our Savior. I am intrigued by this growing confidence we see working through this psalm. David says, I say in verse 2, and then I bless in verse 7, and then I have set in verse 8. Do you hear David's confidence growing as he reminds himself about who his God is and the blessings that come from knowing this Almighty One as His covenant Lord. And His confidence climaxes in this declaration, I will not be shaken. Now, don't we see, uh, don't we see that there are times, there are times when you and I must take ourselves in hand 
We must take ourselves in hand and we must talk to our spirits. We must speak to our spirits. We must preach to them. We must sing to our souls who our God is so that we may stir up our confidence in Him by way of remembrance. It's only in this way, my friends, that we will not be tossed about upon every wave and wind of circumstance or personal failure. So, let us preach to ourselves. Let us preach to ourselves who our almighty protector and preserver is so that we may say confidently, I shall not be shaken. Let us take ourselves in hand and affirm three great truths. First, let us preach to ourselves, the Lord is my supreme delight. David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Here's a question for you. Does knowing God delight you? I mean, do you supremely glory in Him or do you glory in other things? You see, that's the issue this psalm is pressing on us. Verses 2 through 4 show we may devote ourselves to do two different sorts of glory. First, we may devote ourselves to the glory of other gods. David says that in verse 4. He says that about those who run after another god. And he talks about the sorrows that they suffer because of it. To run after means to pant after. I mean, after all, you have to live for something, don't you? You have to live for something. You have to choose something about which you can say, if I have that, then I'll be fulfilled. If I have that, then I will have real worth. If I have that, then I'll know I have really arrived. All of us make that kind of choice, consciously or semi-consciously, and whatever that thing is, it's going to function in you exactly the way those things functioned in the lives of the ancient people who panted after other gods. All of us struggle with this. This is where we struggle. We say things like this. If I have that, you know, if I have that, if I get into that school, if I have get that income, if that person will love me, if I have that kind of body, if these people accept me, if I have that kind of popularity, then I'll be satisfied. Running after those things. You're, you're panting after those things. Because those things are your meaning in life. And David says you suffer because as time goes on, you are shaken. I mean, you know why? It's because even if you are part of that lucky minority, if you're part of that lucky minority who gets the things you're running after, you know how it is, they start slipping away. Because nothing in this material world has any lasting foundations. All these substitutes for God that we pant after start slipping away and you feel shattered and you feel shaken. Oh, my friends, may God open our eyes to see what we are panting after and running after. And in contrast to that, we may devote ourselves to the glory of the Lord. You know, the only question that 
Most people know of the Westminster Shorter Catechism as the first one. And if there is any question of the catechism that can help us live uh, the Christian life, it's this one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I mean, those words are profoundly true, and David would have amen them in a moment. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you, he says. And then he says, again, in a different way, the same thing in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Cup means joy. Someone says, didn't David already believe in God? Yes, he did. But David didn't just believe in God. David ran after God. David panted after God. David gloried in God. David said, You are my meaning in life. You are my highest good. You are my joy. Now, brothers and sisters, it's very easy for us to deceive ourselves at just this point. You can be devoutly religious. You can be thoroughly reformed. And yet you have never really faced up to this in your life. You can go to church, you can believe in God, you can be very orthodox in your thinking, you can be busy in your religious service, but then your health takes a turn, or your family, or your financials, and you get really angry, and you get really depressed, and you say, why is God letting this happen when I've been doing all these things for him? I deserve better. Lord, you're not keeping your end of the bargain. And when we say things like that, maybe it's because we believed in God, but we've been running after all those other things. And David has a word of wisdom for us. He says the only way you are going to be unshakable is not only by doing all those other things, but also by running after God, by pursuing God, by panting after God. You need to say, I don't just believe in you. I'm not just trying to obey you in order to get all those things I want from you. Instead, we must say to God, you are my joy. You are my supreme good. You are my meaning. You are my self-worth. You are my all. Apart from you, I have nothing. And here's something that, that may sound strange to you. The cure for soul-destroying idolatry is not suppressing desire. The cure for idolatry is not suppressing desire. It's not putting desire to death. Contrary to Buddhism, for example, the scriptures do not teach us to pursue true freedom by putting desire to death. Instead, the cure for our emptiness comes not by putting our desire to death, but by pulling our desire off the glory of the world and putting our desire where it belongs, on the Lord. You know, one of the greatest thinkers in the Christian church was that North African that we know as Augustine. He was a brilliant man. Oh, he was a brilliant man. And he was panting after making a name for himself. He was panting after being something really great. 
when quite unexpectedly he found satisfaction in the superior pleasures of God. And so he wrote those famous words in his confessions. He said, how sweet all it once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys I had so feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true God, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. May we know that kind of satisfaction in the Lord. Second, let us preach to ourselves, the Lord is my sure inheritance. In verses 5 through 6, David says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is stating one of the great truths which enables the believer to know peace and contentment and joy in the midst of difficulties. The sovereign, almighty Lord has chosen the believer in grace for himself. David calls the Lord his chosen portion, but that's only because God in grace chose him first. That's his anchor. In verses 5 through 6, we see this, the memory here of the allotment of the promised land to the people of God, but at that time God chose not to give the priests a square inch of land. Instead, he said, I am your portion and your inheritance. But you see, David is joyfully saying that that blessing is not just the unique privilege of the priest. Far from it. Instead, the Lord has chosen to give himself to every believer as his portion and inheritance. And no wonder he testifies in verse 7 that he sings in the night. You know, our troubles sometimes awaken us at night with anxiety. It happens to me. I awaken at three in the morning. I'm feeling overwhelmed by my difficulties. I see no foreseeable solutions. But as David prayerfully sets the eyes of his faith on the Lord who has chosen him in love, he knows God's presence counseling him and, and reassuring him. And he's able to say in the darkness, I will not be shaken. There's something, you know, there's just scarcely anything else we can imagine that is more calculated to calm and, and reassure our troubled hearts than this. Our sovereign, almighty God has chosen us in Christ for himself and bound himself to us with everlasting covenant love. He has foreordained our lives so that nothing can snatch us from his gracious purpose for our lives. And that assurance will make you sing with David, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Brothers and sisters, consider how great our inheritance in the Lord is now. I mean, consider how great our inheritance in the Lord is now. The Lord is our inheritance. What's that mean for us? It means that the believer is heir to all that God is now. You know, if my father's, if my father, if my, if my father lives in a dumpy old shack, that's my inheritance. 
But if on the other hand, he's a wealthy Wall Street attorney with a house in the Hamptons, that's my inheritance. I mean, whatever my father has, that is what I'm heir to. Now, just push out in your minds, push out of the envelope of your minds a little bit more. If the Lord is your inheritance, then all that God's glorious attributes are yours. You are heir to all of God's glorious attributes. His unchangeableness, His majesty, His wisdom, His goodness, His power, all God's attributes are working together for your eternal good and love. It's not because of your deserts. It's not because of your merits. It's not because you chose God. It's because God chose you in love. And consider how glorious our inheritance in the Lord will be. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, not only are we heirs of God, but we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Think for a moment. If we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, then our inheritance, when Christ returns, is going to be glorious. I mean, just follow the logic. Follow the gospel logic with me. <laughs> is there any good thing? Is there any good thing that the father with would, would withhold from his son as a reward for the suffering he endured for our sins? Is there any good thing the father would withhold from a son like that? I mean, think what... Glory the Father would, would pour out on His Son who took upon Himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, who humbled Himself to death on the cross for our sins. Can you think of a reward that would be large enough for such a Son? And now remember, if you are united to Christ as Savior by faith in His blood spilled for our sins, then my friend, you are loved and you are accepted. And you are treasured by God the Father in that Son. I mean, the love the Father has for His Son is the love He has for you as His adopted child. Child of God, I, the Father has chosen to give Himself to you as your portion and inheritance forever. A little over a century ago, a Scottish theologian named Robert Candlish provoked an interesting controversy in the Scottish church. Candlish wrote a book entitled The Fatherhood of God. And in his book, Candlish daringly affirmed, he daringly affirmed that the only difference between our enjoyment of our Father's love as His adopted children and Christ's enjoyment of it as the eternal Son is that Christ enjoyed it first, but not in deeper measure than we do. Now, it's not hard to understand why a statement like that could create controversy. What's difficult to see, however, is how it's contrary to Scripture and how it is contrary to the revelation of God's love that we have at the cross. 
Because go back to the cross and what do you see? At the cross, God cast his beloved and obedient son out of his presence for our sins in order to gather every sinner who believes in that son to himself as his child forever. I mean, just on the basis of the cross, you could almost say that God's love for sinners is greater than his love for the son. Because look what the much-loved and well-pleasing son got in order to give us the love of God. You see, do you have God's Son as your Savior as a free gift by faith? Do you? I mean, if not, receive Him now. He's available as a gift, not by your works, not by your merits, not according to your record, but solely as a gift according to God's grace. And if you have him, my friend, rejoice, rejoice because God chose you with love and God loves you as his adopted child with the same intensity of a devotion as he has for his eternal son, Jesus. And that's worth singing about when things get dark. Reject the unhappy restlessness of idolatry, of craving for and seeking after the empty substitutes for God that this world prizes and those things that leave you shaken. Child of God, you have something better. You have God as your portion. Learn to be content in Him. Do like David, take his name on your lips, bless him for all his glorious qualities and how they're working for your good. Do this whether you feel like it or not. Don't be a hypocrite. If you belong to Jesus, then this is true whether you feel it's true or not. This is more true than your feelings are. My friends, we walk by faith and not by sight. Praise your God as your faith instructs you to. And then you know what will happen? Eventually your feelings will catch up with the truth in time. Eventually the feelings will follow. Finally, let us preach to ourselves the Lord is our secure hope. Why is our hope in the Lord secure? It's not only because God's love for His chosen ones is sure and He will never revoke it, but also because the life we enjoy with Him now is one that will endure through death to eternal life. And why is that? It's because Christ, by His death and resurrection, has put death completely to death for the believer. And David hints at that here when he says, My heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those words contain one of the great resurrection prophecies of the Old Testament. Peter referred to him them in his great sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached that David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. What makes, 
What makes the believer's hope and joy secure and enduring despite the trials that fall on us? It's this. Our hope is secure because Jesus' tomb is empty. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus has triumphed over death for the believer. Jesus has swallowed up death with his triumphant resurrection. I mean, do we live with that hope? A while back, I read about the wife of a minister who had that hope. Uh, she and her family were traveling in their car and they were involved in a head-on collision. And the wife awoke from a coma in the hospital to learn that her husband and one of her children had died in the accident. The little boy had unbuckled his seatbelt to retrieve a fallen crayon at the moment of impact. And so, with tears streaming down her cheeks, this woman declared, God is good in all that he does. That was her declaration. God is good in all that he does. The woman didn't feel those words to be true at that moment, I'm sure. But she refused to be a hypocrite. She chose to affirm what is true for all God's people, whether they feel it so or not. She was not shaken. Jesus promised his people, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' resurrection teaches that God will never abandon us to our circumstances. Never. Death and sorrow will not have the final say. Anticipating the glories to come, we may take David's words on our lips and we may joyfully sing to our souls, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, our hope is secure. It's lasting it is eternal. Having the Lord as our refuge by faith in Jesus, let us confidently declare, I shall not be shaken. Let us pray. Father, thank you for impressing on us through these inspired words of David that we can make this bold declaration in this world where we have nothing firm to stand on. We can say, nevertheless, I will not be shaken. And the reason is because we stand upon the rock of our salvation from you. Oh, Lord, we praise you as our God. You are, an, you are our inheritance and portion. And we praise you that all your glorious attributes are working all things together for the good of those who belong to you.
And we praise you for the glory that we have to look forward to. And you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we will know you in an immediate fashion, face to face. And every joy that we've ever known in this world will only be a shell in comparison to the joy that we know at that time. Father, we are grateful that for all of us who trust in Christ, your word says that's only because you chose us first in grace. We're grateful for the security of your covenant of grace with your people. We're grateful that your word assures us that you will not cease perfecting our salvation until the day our Lord Jesus returns. Lord, further your work of grace in our hearts. I pray for any here today who has yet to bow the knee before your authority and embrace Jesus as Savior. I pray this might be the day of their salvation. Father, help all of us who have resisted these gracious overtures of our Lord Jesus. Help us to see, as David says here, that those who run after other gods bring themselves to ruin. Why would we do that when infinite joy is available freely to us in Christ? Father, we offer up our prayers to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.